Amen. It is, uh, it, it is well, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's good for us to be in this series, but it'll be good for us to be in this series. Um, I've been looking at doing this for um, quite a while now and maybe teasing you just a little bit into it, um, and I've been wanting to do it. I, you know, I come to church and I want to meet with God, and I tell you to anticipate meeting God. I, I really do. And so, um, you know, I, I think if you will get your heart set and forget about yesterday or even this morning, and if you will forget about what's going to come after church or even tomorrow, and you can just stop and say, hey, God, I want you to meet with me right here, right now. And maybe you've got something that you want God to speak to you about. Maybe you're here and you're like, God, I'm wrestling with something, and it would help me just to give it to you right now, and you speak to whatever this is, and then um, I, can, I can let it go to you. I believe that God wants to talk to you. I believe that God will talk to you. I believe that you have to make that decision of grabbing a hold of that understanding. I can't do that for you. Um, I, I just want to encourage you in that. So anyway, I was sitting here, and, and the worship set today, for whatever reason, was overwhelming to me, even though I'd been through it through the, the run-through. But it was overwhelming to me that, that God is so good. I, I mean, I know that song, how good he is. I, I know that. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit was just reminding he is so good that he has taken everything that I deserved this week. And he has given me so much that I don't deserve this week that my focus just needs to be on the love of God that is here in the person of Jesus Christ, even right now. In this moment, in this place, right now, I choose to believe that the Lord is here. Two or three are gathered together. There he is in the midst of them. And, and since he is here, his love is here, not his condemnation, not his, his conviction, not, I mean, a holy conviction, but not his, not his angst, not the things that we as, as humans believe about God, that he hates us, he's repulsed by us, he's mad at us, if he knows what I did, it, that my sin is too big. All, no, 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 no. God is here because he loves you. The love of God is here for the forgiveness of sin. The love of God is here to wrap his arms around you. The love of God is here, and I appreciate that. We're going into a sermon series, and a sermon, a given sermon, I'm doing a class right now on Wednesdays, but a given sermon will be one of a couple of things. It will be a hospital sermon. Some of you have heard me say this before, meaning that we've come in here to find healing relationally, emotionally, spiritually, but we've come in because God put me back together. Um, I have imploded this week, okay? We come in here because we're like, Lord, um, uh, I need to know something. God, could you inform me, empower me, and give me the knowledge on this? Or we come in here and we're like, Lord, uh, Lord come with us because we're going to take the city for Jesus. Okay, So they refer to that as a, 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 a school sermon or a hospital sermon or an army sermon when you're in Bible college. They're like, hey, you're going to preach one of these kind of sermons. Today I want to give you a school sermon in in preparation for the whole series as we launch into what it means for us to be a hospital and then a, a, a part of the army of the kingdom of God. What is it about our society um, that we now throw rocks at each other and sitting down, instead of sitting down over a pint and just wrestling passionately about stuff and then getting up and choosing to be friends? Legend has it that that's C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien could sit down in a bar and, and they could just go at it and they could vehemently get all wound up and they could enjoy them, their dinner, they could enjoy a pint, but when it all came down to it, they got up and they were still friends. We have lost an era or an understanding of diplomacy that allows us to communicate like human beings and the fact of the matter is... <laughs> um, the internet is not helping us. 
okay? Now listen, when I talk about what God didn't give me, what I deserve, you know, my wife has taught me over the last 15 years that I don't have to push send on everything I type, okay? And I'm, I'm actually learning that. There are times when I just go into the kitchen and I say, girl, take a look at this. Yeah. Because this didn't push send. This deserves something. Come on. And she's like, oh, you're so handsome. You're so sweet. Get out of the way. I'm making you some dinner. And it's like, okay, well, there's that. Okay, we can do that. But that's the point. We can learn. If we can learn to be mean, we can unlearn being mean. Or... Instead, we can learn to be nice again. And so let's go back to that. Let's go back to shooting the positive out there into the world on our keyboards instead of just blasting all the negativity that is out there. Listen to me. Everybody's got the facts wrong. I just want you to know. If you're going to read that article, they got the I'm just telling you before you read the article, they got the facts. I don't even know what the article is you're going to read. But you do and you're like, yeah, they got the facts wrong on that one. You're already there. I just think that we're at a place where we can change this up just a little tiny bit, and we're going to look at this, okay? Um, I will tell you right now that there are so many people that will say that you just don't understand. We have gotten into such a thing, and it's gotten so much worse, and it's so much more awful. And, you know, even then, I don't think so. My, my wife has a Ph.D. in early colonial American history. She taught at EKU. She taught at U.K., I'm just telling you, you know, she's brought some stuff up while I was going to school with her for nine years. Did you see what these people did? Did you see that this president had a kegger in the White House? And some of you are like, what's a kegger? Talk to younger people and ask them. They'll tell you. And some of you are like, we don't use kegger anymore. And it's like, well, I'm there. <laughs> I didn't know it was sauce, so, you know, I'm just buzzing it out there. Okay, no, you know, my kids are like, Papa, please stop doing that. Okay, but anyway... Things have changed, but not really as much as you think they have. And so I want to talk about some things. I want to do a sermon series called, I Have No Rock to Throw, or if we can just simplify it a little bit, No Rock to Throw. You say, why would we throw rocks? I want to talk to you about stoning. I don't want to talk to you about getting stoned, okay? That's never been a hobby of mine. I want to talk to you about stoning because it's mentioned in the Bible over, over and over again, and we don't often talk about stoning. So let's just talk about stoning for just a little tiny bit here. And I want to share a quote with you before I get into the passage for this morning from Dr. Shaul um, Bar, okay? Dr. Shaul Bar holds a PhD, this is him, in ancient Semitic languages and literature from New York University and serves as the director of Born Bloom Judaic Studies program. And this is what he says about stoning. The transgressions punishable by stoning are in the domain of human relations with God. Persons liable to the, this penalty include those who have seduced their fellows into idolatry, and he gives the scripture reference, okay? <laughs> those who actually engage in idolatry, those who employ the divine name in a curse, those who offer their children to Molech, okay? And here he just, um, God just straight out calls the demon out. All right. He says, um, the medium or the necromancer, okay, the fortune teller down in New Orleans or across the street in Richmond, okay, or the necromancer. And in a specific case that I actually want to begin with today <clears throat> is a fellow who gathered wood on the Sabbath. 
You say, wow, you went to some pretty extreme things all the way to some guy picking up sticks. What in the world? Well, let's just talk about stoning. And my, my initial idea was <laughs> to go and, and, and just let's say, hey, this is where stoning came from. This is where it is. This is what it was. But people have been throwing rocks at each other for a long time. A long time. In my mind, Cain beat Abel to death with a rock. I don't think he strangled him. I don't think he just punched him till he died. In my mind, he took him out. They were in the field. He got mad, got bent out of shape, and he, and he killed his brother with a rock. I'm writing fiction. I'm writing fiction. But that's just the way it is in my head, okay? You take something, you make it happen fast, you get it over with, you move on, and then you lie to God and say, I don't know where he is. I don't know what the deal is. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> but this is a story. And let me just tell you, going into this thing, that it's in the book of Numbers. So we're past the book of Exodus chapter 20 where Moses says, you know, the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments and coming down the mountain and all those things. So we've got to understand that the man that's going to be involved in this understands the Ten Commandments and the one specifically that talks about working on the Sabbath. And <clears throat> you might look at this thing and go, now, wait a second. Understand this as well. I'm not God. You're not God. God knows more than us. God is doing things specifically and for a reason. And if we think it's unjust, it's because we're not God. And we've got to look at this thing, all right? So we, we're going to look at this in Numbers 15. We're going to read verses 30 um, all the way through 36, okay? So many verses. So the children of Israel are out in the wilderness, Moses has been up and down the mountain, okay? He comes to, to the children. He, he says the things. The children are like, don't, you know, cover your head because we don't want to, you know, see you've been with God. And, you know, all those things have taken place. So they understand initially the, the law that God has laid down. <clears throat> and then it goes to this place right here while they're moving around the wilderness. When the Israelites were in the desert, that's the wilderness, okay? When the Israelites were in the desert, a, mount, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Okay, now we understand. You've heard me rail on this over and over and over again. The Sabbath day starts at 6 o'clock on Friday and runs through 6 o'clock on Saturday. It is not Sunday. There is no place in your Bible, please feel free, to search your whole Bible, because at least you'll read it then, <laughs> and, find, and, 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 and challenge me on this. There is no place in your Bible where it was allowed to be changed to Sunday. God did not come in a great voice and say to Paul, or through Jesus, or through any of the disciples, listen and hence unto me this day, the Sabbath shall be from seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday until nine o'clock Sunday night. There's no place. You're not going to find it. But please give it a shot. While the Israelites were in the desert, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. Understand uh, that at this point, it's pretty patriarchal. So when it says they brought him to the whole assembly, I'm not saying women and children weren't there, but the significant part was they brought him to the leaders of, um, of the, the, the 1.6 million people that were there. And these were the men of the, of the leadership of this place. It says um, they kept him in custody because it was not clear what was to be done with him. And then the Lord said to Moses, 
Okay, they come to the tent of meeting or the place of meeting. They come to where Moses speaks to God. I mean, God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to God. People stay back, keep their hand on their ears, and, and they cry out if they hear the voice of God. <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So you got to take him outside the camp, and they stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. And this is the the passage that I want to deal with today as we look at this, because this is the picture. Now, again, you understand that Moses has given them the commandments, the Ten Commandments, go look them up, and you can see that God says, and do no work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a rest. God rested on the Sabbath. You're going to rest on the Sabbath. Do all your work before the Sabbath. I mean, he laid it all out, but this is um, uh, the picture. Here's the deal. God is building an absolute nation to change the world. He's introducing himself to the people. He's laying the groundwork of their identity and their responsibility. And he's building tribes. And he's doing this all in fulfillment. Okay, this is, we're going to get real educational. He's doing this all in fulfillment to a promise that he made to Abraham. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and eventually Moses, Okay, move forward in history, 430 years, eventually Moses, all right? So God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham that if Abraham would follow God, not knowing where he was going, that he would in fact make him into a great nation. And here's the deal. God didn't promise to make Abraham into a great nation and then put a period right there. There was a purpose for making Abraham into a great nation. It said, and then you will be a blessing to all nations of the world. See? That's what God's promise to Abraham was all about. I believe with all of my heart that God was creating a nation of priests, if you'll just take the whole world and strip it down to a local church. The Jewish people were supposed to be the priests telling us what God is saying and what God isn't saying and sharing with us what we're doing and what the Holy Spirit's doing. I believe that with all of my heart. But they got a little ingrown and to some degree got a little inbred. Okay? But this is still the picture. So this is a picture of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Metaphorically, he's leading them out of bondage, which is not supposed to be lost on us when Jesus comes. Okay, it all gets deep, and I'm trying to make it make sense. So this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God calls Abraham, then God gives birth to a son, excuse me, and then Abraham gives birth to a son named Isaac, and then he gives birth to a son named Jacob. So when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is a family it's a family. It's not some great big giant Jewish nation across the world. It is a family that God is dealing with right here. And all of the 12 tribes come from that last guy, Jacob. Okay? Now, in just a second, you're going to say, wait a second, there's 13 tribes. And we'll deal with that, okay? But here they are. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, okay? And they were separated out to be you know, the priests and, and the worship leaders and things like that. Then Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and then Joseph. However, Joseph got split into two tribes. 
So we don't have necessarily the tribe of Joseph. Joseph. We have the half-tribe of Ephraim, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and then their little brother, Benjamin. They're just boys born to Jacob. That's it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is Jacob. And he had all these sons except for Joseph, married an Egyptian, and as a result of that, ended up with these two half-tribes. But Joseph, he, he let go of his inheritance from Jacob and said, give it to my two sons. So when they go into the promised land 430 years later, they get a half-tribe share of, of all the stuff. And those are the things you say, wow, this is getting really like schooly. I tried to tell you it would be schooly. Okay, it's going to be schooly because you need to know these things going into it. So when I say Moses led the children of Israel, I'm talking about children. I'm talking about the family members of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, specifically Jacob and his extended family. See, there, it's not some nation out there. It's people. Imagine if you just backed up to 1900 and you said your great-great-great-great-grandma's name. God is going to deal with your great-great-great-grandpa. And he's going to lead you guys to Kentucky out of the, you know, the wilderness of Virginia. And it's going to be great. And you'll have land that you didn't work for. And you'll, you'll put um, um, houses up the holler. And it will be your holler. And it will be great. See? And then 400 years later, somebody comes to the head of your holler. And God brought you there. But it's yours. But look at all the families that came from grandma and grandpa. Man, we're up to 20 now just from Joe and Janice. Heaven help this world if the Lord doesn't blow the trumpet in the next 10 generations. There's going to be more woods, hoods, and bellenders than you can ever shake a stick at. It's going to be awful. People are going to like, why didn't we stop them back then? You know, no, really. But that's the picture. It's, it's these families. And so we're talking about the fact that um, in the desert, God gives Moses the law. Moses gives the people the law. The law, becomes the, lot of, uh, the law becomes the law of God given to Moses. And it's now referred in the New Testament as the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the Ten Commandments plus the way the Lord filled in the blank spots, okay? So these are the Ten Commandments. I'm going to do this really quickly um, out of Deuteronomy chapter 20, okay? God spoke all these words, and he said, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now these are the Ten Commandments. Now he doesn't say that, but that, that's what he said. Now these are the Ten Commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. We're not talking about your house. We're not talking about your job. We're not talking about your spouse. We're not, talk, not talking about your dog or your car. God's. A god or an idol, biblically speaking, is not something that you give too much attention to. It is a deity that you believe can change the course of your life that you bow down to. Those other things are hindrances in your life that are spoken to by Paul when he writes to the church in Romans. So when people say, that man's made an idol out of his wife. No, he has not. He does not think she is God. He thinks she is the living end. But he doesn't think she's God. So we need to get that right. You shall not make for yourself a graven image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Graven image refers to a deity. Don't do that, okay? Doesn't say you can't sit on the front porch and whittle. You can whittle if you wanna, okay? But just whittle a whittle, okay? Because if you whittle a lot, and it becomes a deity, 
it's going to be a problem. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Take it out of your vocabulary. Stop using Jesus' name in vain. Stop using God the Father's name in vain. He was pretty clear at the beginning, don't do that, okay? And by the way, it says the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless that does that. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you work, on the seventh you will rest, okay? Honor your father and your mother. Here's the first commandment with promise. It's written in the New Testament, for this is the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is going to give you. Okay. Number six, you shall not murder. Excuse me. Yeah, number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony and lie against your neighbor or slander them. Number 10, do not covet don't covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his stuff, not his donkey, not his ox, not his horse, not his mule, not his lawn, not his grass, not his swimming pool. Don't covet that. Don't fixate on that and try to figure out how you can conquer him and steal it, is what that means. And God is incredibly deathly serious about these things. And this represents, this, this Ten Commandments represents the core, okay, of the law of God, or what's referred to in the New Testament as the law of Moses. It's the core. God takes another 600, as he goes through, and the Lord commanded them, you'll see that, the, the, that God takes another 603 commandments to define and extrapolate on the 10 commandments, which gives you an Old Testament law of Moses that has 613 commandments to it. And all of this is incredibly important to what we're talking about today. As a result, God fully expected the Israelites to conform their lives and their culture and their families and everything about themselves to the law. I need, I need us to get this into our heart. I am not a Jew. I am not subject to 613 commandments. I am sub subject to two that the Lord my God gave me and all of his teachings as I continue to grow and try to implement them in my life my life. I'm not having lives. I'm, I only want one and I want out of here. Okay, one's plenty. But think about that for a second. God fully expected that the Jewish people coming out of a pagan um, um, Egyptian culture for 430 years would let go of those things and conform their lives and their families to the teachings that God laid out. It's incredibly important. It's very much like what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Therefore, if anyone who hears, therefore, anyone who, everyone, excuse me, everyone, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came down, the, steam, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. It had its foundation on the rock. It's, it's God saying the same thing. He gives the Ten Commandments. He expects the change to continue to take place. Jesus says, I've given you three chapters of teachings. Read the Sermon on the Mount, best thing you can. I believe that the Sermon on the Mount and those three chapters, uh, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, are the core of everything that you will find in any of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And remember, Paul taught Jesus. Jesus didn't teach Paul. 
So if you find something that, well, Paul said it different, okay, then you find out why Paul said that because Jesus said it right. He is God. And we recognize this. So now the goal here is, as Jesus said, and puts them into practice, it's time for us to put the teachings of Jesus in our lives into practice. What is the area that we need to work on? To change my ways, to do it different, to conform to his word, to quit being abrasive for the sake of not changing. So a Christian, therefore, if we're looking for a definition, and I'm always wanting to define the word Christian, is a person that changes his or her life and lifestyle to accept and conform to the teachings of God given through Jesus Christ. As a result of the teachings of Jesus, you surrender your life to Jesus and you get baptized. But surrendering your life and getting baptized doesn't make you the Christian. It's giving Christ your heart and letting him take up residence, and we've got to get to the part where we give. We don't get. See, we're used to getting Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Mm -mm. Surrender to Jesus. Get up from that prayer and say, what do you want from me now, Jesus? What can I do for the kingdom of God at my job? What can I do in my marriage? What can I do in my relationship with my girlfriend or boyfriend? What can I do in my class at school? What can I do with my children? What can I do with my vacation? What can I do with my entertainment choices? What can I do? How can I surrender this to the person of Jesus Christ to bring him glory and honor and show other people how they can embrace this life as well, because that's what we're headed toward, okay? So God was serious about his word, and that punishment was meted out, because that's what I'm talking about, is that guy got stoned. He literally got stoned because he was picking up sticks on the Sabbath, but you've got to understand, God is so serious about his word and his teachings that he said, don't do this. It wasn't because the man picked up the, the, the sticks, it was because he cognitively knew that God said, don't do this, and he did it anyway. I had a professor that told me one time that you, if you're familiar with the story of Gideon and his fleece, if you want to put a fleece out before God as to whether or not you should go into missions work or even go to McDonald's today, you go right ahead and do that. But if God answers that fleece and it gets wet, and you said, God, if this is wet, I'm going to do this, and then you don't do it, it ends up, my professor said, being a mortal sin because you now know that God said yes and you're shaking your fist in his face saying no like Jonah. Jonah said, I follow the God of the Hebrew children. What a liar. He was headed the other way from the direction the God of the Hebrew children told him to go. So what about when we cognitively, I'm not saying when we fall into sin, because we all fall into sin here and there and everywhere. We're tempted, our desires capture us, we fall away, we get back up, we say, God, forgive me. But when we begin to cognitively say, I don't care what God said, and I've had somebody say to me not long ago, I don't care what Jesus said. At that point for me, the conversation's done. Because I do, and most of the time that I... I'm saying I do care about what Jesus says. It's because I'm struggling with my humanity myself. And I'm not going to be easy on me. And so somewhere in the midst of all of this, 
stoning came into this place because of the rebelliousness. And this is what Dr. Barr goes on to say about stoning. He says, in the method of stoning, he says, the entire community was obligated to participate in the stoning because those who stoned the condemned persons were purifying themselves of the guilt that the male factor had imposed on the community. It was indicated by Leviticus 24 um, where we're told that those who had heard the man blaspheme, so if you blasphemed the name of God, then here's the deal. Two, you remember, Jesus couldn't be condemned until they could get two witnesses. Paul couldn't be condemned until they got two witnesses. Peter and John could not be condemned until they got two witnesses. There has to be two witnesses because it's not something that happens willy-nilly. You've got to have a court case. You've got to have two witnesses. But here's the thing that this doctor goes on to say. That when the stoning takes place, the first people to throw a rock have to be the two witnesses. Did you know that? Not only do they have to be the first to throw the rocks, but they have to put, both of them have to put their hands on that person's head to confer the sin upon them. And so you have some, some pictures of what's referred to um, in the Old Testament as well as scapegoating. But see, this is what had to take place. And so this goes on to say that then the whole, all of the witnesses had to hurl their stones first, and, and that meant that they were responsible for this execution. And if in fact they lied, now they are murderers before God, and you don't understand how serious God takes taking a person's life. Doesn't matter the reason or the manner. God is so serious about taking people's lives. So let me talk to you about stoning real quick where I don't keep you here all day. Although somebody said that we were going to be here like all day, all day. Don't, don't ever worry about how long. Just go all day. I didn't think you would like that, but you should know that there were some people in this church that tried to keep you captured all day. Stoning. Number one, the whole community has to be involved. You can't just go throw a rock. So maybe that says something about us and the way we interact with our communities, be it online or at work or around us. Maybe we can stop trying to stone people because we're not allowed to do it by ourselves. You actually have to have a court case and sit down. But we're so quick to throw rocks at people. And two of my biggest examples, if I'm to let myself off the hook like we're prone to do because we're human beings, is Westboro Baptist Church who thinks it's their mission to go to funerals and cuss, swear, holler, scream, yell, and condemn people that have lost their lives and use that as a, a platform to get their message of God's love out. Wow. And the other one is the guy that stands on a soapbox on just about any campus in America and feels like he has to call the cheerleaders' names as they're walking back and forth or tell everybody how awful and how God hates them and is repulsed by them and their abominations and he says all these things and all he does is stand on this soapbox with his little megaphone and throw rocks at people. Those are my two greatest examples because I don't often want to look at me. Because mine's a lot subtler than that. But I would say it's probably no less offensive to God than that. They were to take, uh, the whole community had to do it. Everybody. Not just a couple of people. And they had to take um, golf ball size to baseball size rocks. 
And they did it so that they could cleanse the community and themselves be cleansed of evil. And I've heard it described this way. They gather the sinner or the sinner and his family or maybe even the sinner and his family and his animals into the center of the community and then they stone them to death. They throw rocks or use a slingshot and then they have to run and pick the rocks back up and back back up and throw the rocks again because they're not often standing in a quarry. See? Suddenly, the punishment is on the community for having to do the punishment. And how horrible of a thing that must be. So number one, the whole community had to be involved. Number two, the stunning, not, not only did they have to be involved, but it was a punishment for the whole community. In Deuteronomy 13, it says, the participation of all Israel in the act of stoning came to serve as a warning to others. Thus, all Israel will hear be afraid of such evil things, uh, and they will not be done again in your midst. It's very much like what they did to our Jesus. They took our Jesus, and they went up on a hill that had a pass that went by it, coming in and out of the area. And they crucified people. Jesus was not the only person ever crucified. He was not unique to Jesus. It was unique to criminals. Being nailed to the cross was a little bit unique to Jesus. But crucifixion was not unique to Jesus. Crucifixion, they would just put the, the, the crosses up, the poles up with the cross beams on them. They would put them up, and as people came in, they would see these crucified people. Cursed is anybody that hangs on a tree, their law says. And so they would walk into the city, and they would see these people hanging on these crosses. And they would be terrified that they needed to be careful that that didn't happen to them. So live your life in such a way. And so that's, that's what we understand. The third thing is, it took a court case and a judgment of stoning. So don't think it just happened willy-nilly. You know, we read about these things in the, in the Scripture and we bypass the knowledge that we have to dig for. And I'm not here to condemn anybody for that. I'm just saying, when it says, and they took him right out and they stoned him, first there has to be a court case. That court case might last 20 minutes. That court case might last two or three days. But there had to be a court case, meaning there had to be specific leaders sitting there. And those specific leaders had to hear from at least two witnesses. And then the condemned at least got people to speak on their behalf as well before the stoning actually took place. And so it didn't just happen willy-nilly. You can't just go out and stone people. And what does that mean for you and I as Christians people? Because there are laws in the Old Testament, and I'm not a Jew, so I am not subject to those laws. I'm chasing after Jesus who fulfilled those laws. And gave me two. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So to people that say, man, all this church does is preach love, 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 love. You're absolutely right. I'm proud of it. If you need a good spanking, there's probably a, a more religious evangelical church around here that will do that for you. I actually passed, uh, preached in a church one time that Lord, uh, I mean, one of the uh, uh, people in the church came up to me and said, now I feel like I've been to church. I've had a good spanking. And it's like, okay, I don't, I, I don't run away from correction. I will embrace correction. But you know what? You've been chewed up and spit out enough in the world out there. I want you to come in here and hear what God has to say. 
and the God that I serve died for your sin, so no, he's not going to bring it up if he already cast it as far as the east is from the west. He's not going to bring it up. That's not to say he might say, Joe, I need you to go down the street and apologize to this lady. Hey, Joe, I need you to go do this. Hey, Joe, that was wrong. You need to say you're sorry. You know how we do our kids? I don't doubt that God does us that way. Hey, I need you to say you're sorry. Say you're sorry. And then we're like, okay, but I'm sorry, but I was right. Don't we do that as humans? God sees what's going on in here. And he's going to keep you there until you say you're sorry. Okay? But listen to what Jesus says in one of the most famous attempted stonings in the scripture. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first in accordance with the law. Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. They were all standing there with stones in their hands. And Jesus said, all right, we're good. We're good. So whichever of you doesn't have any sin, you had chucked the first sin, or the first stone. And to the person that was there, he said, neither do I condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. See, the fact that we're not to throw the first stone does not mean we're not to call out sin. We're just not supposed to do it with a rock. But rather with an invitation to forgiveness and the love of God in Jesus Christ. These words of Jesus are so hard sometimes when he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. When he says, bless those that curse you. Jesus said this. Bless those that curse you. I do not like to be cursed. I can walk away, but it'll eat me for a week. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That's hard. That's hard when you feel like you're being chewed up and spit out at work, when people are taking advantage of you and taking credit for it. It's hard. Turn the other cheek. Thankfully, we live in America where we have qualified that on behalf of God because he needed help from us. I'll turn the second one, but the third one's going to be his. That's not what it says. <laughs> it says, turn the other cheek. I could go on and on and on, but I'll just end with this one from Jesus. Forgive those that need to be forgiven by you and do it in the way that you want to be forgiven by God. See, this is what we're called to. We're not called to pick up rocks and throw them at sinners. We're not called to throw rocks at Republicans. We're not called to throw rocks at Democrats. We're not called to throw rocks at lesbians and homosexuals. We're not called to throw rocks at pedophiles. We're not called to throw rocks at government officials that probably, well, just shut up. I'm not called to throw rocks. We're not called to throw rocks at the tax man. We're not called to throw rocks at the people that cut us off. We're certainly not called to throw rocks at the person doing 71 miles an hour in the left-hand lane. We are not called to throw rocks. 
We're not called to throw rocks at our neighbors. We're not called to, we're not called to throw rocks. We're not. And we've got to bring the, the stone throwing or the stoning down to our homes. We're not called to throw rocks at our children. We're not called to throw rocks at our spouse. We're not called to throw rocks. We don't stone people anymore. We are Christian people. We love your enemy. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that spitefully use you. We turn the other cheek. We forgive as we want God to forgive us. Freely, freely, we receive the forgiveness of God. Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He didn't mean the people of the world. He didn't think, mean those people who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. You'd have to get off the planet. You can't get away from the sinners. Stop throwing rocks at sinners. Stop judging them. Stop telling them they're going to burn in hell. Okay? Tell them Jesus died for them. Tell them Jesus got a life they never dreamed of for them. Use words if necessary. He goes on to say, but I'm warning, I'm writing to you that don't associate with anybody that claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with those people. That's such a hard verse to me when I found it about seven or eight years ago. Wow. But it gets me to this, what I want to say right here. What business it is, is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I didn't come to judge the world. God didn't fill me up so I could judge the world. He filled me up so I could give them an invitation. Let me assure you of this right here. The kingdom of God will not grow by stoning the people that we consider enemies of the cross. Jesus will only change that heart of those that have embraced his love and forgiveness. So maybe if we give people love and forgiveness, an appropriate correction, a welcoming smile, maybe if we exude, even when we're imperfect and struggle with our own sins, maybe if we exude the welcoming forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we might see the kingdom of God grow a little faster. I'm not changing my attitude on sin. I'm just saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation away from sin. It's not a stone because you sin. And you are the person that you will be the hardest on. You really are. So I would encourage you. I want to invite you to come to your feet. come to the end of this, I was asking the Holy Spirit a couple of days ago. Who do you need to forgive this morning? Who do you need to forgive this morning? I'm not saying for some big travesty, somebody stole your house, you know, took your dog. I, I, I'm, maybe it's not that big, but somebody just came to mind. What rebellion are you living that God is inviting you to let go of? What rebellion? Remember the guy that was picking up sticks? It wasn't the sticks, it was the rebellion. 
What is the, no, I'm not going to do that, God, because that doesn't make sense. And God's saying, yes, I want you to do that. It makes perfect sense. What rebellion is it that you need to let go of? And what part of your life, dating, relationships, marriage, raising children, the kind of uh, employee you are at work, what part of your life is God saying, hey, I want you to do that as unto me? And you're not doing it. Today's a day where you can say, God, I want you to have it all. And if you're in here and you're like, I'm hoping that there's a God out there somewhere. Don't like the one I've seen portrayed here, there, and everywhere. I just want to introduce you to the God of the Bible. The God that created you. Not the God that that you might see sometimes in broken human beings. But I got no rock to throw at them either. They're trying. They just don't know how. So as we move forward, if there is something there that you would like prayer for before you leave here, can we do that? No rock to throw. Open arms of Jesus. The love of God in Jesus Christ to forgive you for whatever that sin is, whatever that struggle is. It's not always a sin. But God wants to forgive you. Let's just take a deep breath. Just hold it for a second and let it out slowly because you know God wants you to be touched by him before I turn them loose to begin this song could you come up here could I just invite you to step up here I'm not going to ask you to talk into a microphone but you're like yep you're talking to me this morning don't tell me out there come on up here let's let the Holy Spirit come down upon your heart Is that you this morning? It's time to put the rocks down. It's time to forgive people that have been throwing rocks at you. You ready for that? Today? Okay. We're going to go into this song. Pastor Tony and his team is going to lead us into that. If you show up up here, people will show up to pray for you. If you want the congregation to be busy so they're not looking, that's okay. I love you. That's okay. But don't leave here without letting God touch your life in that area. Fathers, we come before you. Thank you for this word. Thank you that it is so real to me. And as we move forward in this sermon series, God, I pray for wisdom. God, I need wisdom. God, I need wisdom and I need words. I I don't need swords. I don't need rocks, God. I need your wisdom. Holy Spirit, I need your person. God, through Jesus Christ, I need your words. So we just invite you, if you're going to tarry, to let that fall down on us today and in the weeks to come. But I pray that you would cleanse us this morning. In Jesus' name.